Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Doing what feels good, what's convenient, what's easy, that's how little kids think. Unfortunately, a lot of so-called grown-ups, including some with fancy titles and important jobs, still think that way which is why things are so screwed up. Look, he was an incompetent president. That's all I can say, grossly incompetent. I'm sure you recognize those two voices. That's President Trump on the end, trading barbs with former President Obama this weekend over the pandemic response as he focuses his campaign strategy and accuses him of treason. Just a busy week on the campaign trail already, and it's only Monday. Hello, everyone. I'm CNN Washington correspondent Ryan Nobles in for David Chalian, and this is The Daily D.C. While it is the fight between President Obama and President Trump that is heating up, it's former Vice President Biden who will take on the incumbent in November. And as this campaignless campaign continues, Biden risks being overshadowed as he looks to ramp up his operation around the country. And of course, for those of you who don't know, I'm the reporter covering the Trump campaign for CNN, so I can talk about that today on the podcast. And joining me more to discuss the 2020 race is our reporter covering the Biden campaign, Arlette Sines, and all also joining us, CNN politics reporter Greg Krieg. Arlette and Greg, thank you guys so much for being here. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks, Ryan. All right, so let's talk about uh, President Obama's criticism and then President Trump shooting back and just a part of how President Obama is now at the center of this campaign. It's interesting because you generally do not see presidents and former presidents going back and forth at each other. Usually sitting presidents don't criticize the person before them, particularly by name. And then it's very rare for former presidents to come out and so attack the sitting president uh, in the way that President Obama has. And to be clear, and we need to be very clear about this. It is definitely President Trump that is sending out more fire than President Obama is. In fact, this is one of the few times we've ever heard President Obama criticize President Trump. In fact, the first time he's really done it publicly. You know, Arlette, let's let's start with you. I mean, from your perspective covering the Biden campaign, what is the benefit for President Trump to make this play about President Obama? Why bring President Obama into the conversation? Well, President Trump, you know, has shown over and over again that he's willing to launch these attacks against President Obama. I mean, it's going back all the way back to even before Trump was running when he was bringing up the birther movement and and really promoting that. But for Trump and Obama to be engaged in this back and forth right now, for Obama, he's really sat on the sidelines for much of this election. And he sat out of the primary, did not endorse until it became clear that Biden was going to be the presumptive Democratic nominee. But he's incredibly popular and he has this megaphone in the country where he is able to take a message out against President Trump, which he thinks will ultimately help and promote former Vice President Biden going forward. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting 
interesting because Greg and I, of course, covered the Sanders campaign up until about a month ago. And it was interesting how little President Obama came into play there, despite the fact that he had such a close association with Vice President Biden, the two serving together for eight years in the White House. So, Greg, what we're seeing here to a certain extent is kind of a re-messaging of a similar tactic that Donald Trump used before he was ever officially a candidate for any office. And this, of course, harkens back to the birther movement. And, you know, in many ways, is he using it as a distraction from the issues that he's dealing with with the coronavirus? Yeah, no, I think there's no debate at this point that he's doing what, you know, comes naturally to him, which is to try to muddy the waters, you know, at least what has come natural to him since he became a candidate. Whenever something was going wrong during his first campaign and certainly during his time as president, he's done this. He's tried to kind of distract from the main issue, you know, with any number of whether it's a conspiracy theory, attack on the press. But I think in this particular case, it's kind of like a two-part move he's doing. I mean, he's obviously at first peddling this kind of mishmash of a conspiracy theory that he calls Obamagate, which he frankly can't seem to really explain himself. You know, I thought it was telling that he's been tweeting about it constantly. And and the most retweeted post about it is one where he just types in all caps, Obamagate exclamation point. It doesn't, you know, its position there is what it means. It's just something for people to think about that isn't what's actually going on right now. Isn't that part of an overall Trump strategy, right? It's similar, not exactly the same, because he uses Make America Great as a positive message versus Obamagate as a negative message. But if you don't offer too many specifics behind what you're talking about, that allows your supporters or detractors, for that matter, to fill in their own blanks. And you're right. We don't have a lot of specifics as to exactly what we're talking about when it comes to Obamagate. Does that allow his supporters to kind of fill in the blanks? Exactly. I mean, it can be whatever you want it to be. But again, like even the fact that like us talking about trying to figure out what it is, debunking it, this and that, it's tough certainly as a reporter because, you know, you have to talk about what's going on and what people are paying attention to. But the fact that we're talking about it isn't in some degree, you know, a win for him because now we're trying to figure out what it is. What are we not talking about? Almost 90,000 people dead from the coronavirus, the economy in world historic plunge. So yeah, I mean, listen, he's been very clear. He said this himself, you know, I take no responsibility for what's happening. And the more and more he can turn this into a wedge, into a fight, a partisan question, the, you know, the the better it is for him. And Arlette, that has got to make life difficult for the Biden campaign. It seems as though every day they float a new baseless conspiracy that the Biden campaign can choose either to not engage upon at all or try and rebut. And it's very difficult, to Greg's point, to rebut just one line that says Obamagate when you don't even know what that is. How is the Biden campaign responding to this? And are they making any progress in trying to downplay these connections and this kind of vague attacks that the Trump campaign is sending the former vice president's way? Well, they've made clear that they are bracing for these types of attacks. You know, we were on a call last week with one of the chief strategists, Donilon, who basically said that Biden's been attacked by Trump over and over for the past year. This is not new. And they anticipate that there are going to be more attacks from the president as well as his Republican allies. And you've seen this all kind of take shape in this promotion of this Obamagate conspiracy. And for the Biden campaign, they know that they have work to do to try to push back on some of these uh, claims and critiques from President Trump. Um, But they're not responding to every single thing that's out there. They kind of pick and choose uh, the moments where they really feel like they need to push back. But they're certainly aware that this isn't going to go away and that uh, the president is going to drag both Biden and Obama into this as the general election wages on. 
I mean, is it in Arlette in any way going to prevent them from using President Obama as a surrogate? I mean, he is a, a proven vote getter, enormously popular in the Democratic Party, still very popular with independent voters. Uh, I would have to imagine that that's not going to in any way keep them from uh, using President Obama in a prominent way during the campaign. No, not at all. I mean, President Obama is really going to be their most powerful uh, surrogate. He can speak uh, personally to Joe Biden's experience. And we haven't seen him, you know, do anything yet on behalf of Biden. There was that video that he put out when he endorsed him. But slowly, as we progress uh, into the fall months, uh, I believe that President Obama will be a strong factor uh, in a lot of their campaigning, making both that implicit and explicit argument for Biden. And I do think the Trump campaign looks forward to that. You know, it is a double-edged sword for them because President Obama is popular, but there is no doubt that the Trump campaign views this as a base election. Uh, They're going to want to drive out their uh, Republican voters, particularly Trump Republican voters. And for many of them, President Obama is a negative figure. uh, So that I think they help, they believe helps the enthusiasm for the Trump campaign. Uh, You know, whether or not that turns off, uh, particularly suburban uh, voters uh, with higher education levels, I think that is something we still have to figure out. But uh, there's no doubt that uh, President Obama is going to play a big role uh, in this upcoming campaign. And with that, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we are going to handicap the race for Joe Biden's running mate. Who does he think would make a good vice president? We'll talk more with Greg and Arlette all about that when we come back. And we're back on The Daily DC, joined by Arlette Sines and Greg Krieg. Arlette, let's shift now to a different uh, strategy that the uh, Trump campaign is using. And and they do it subtly. They come right out and say it. But they have been questioning uh, Vice President Biden's fitness for office, even his mental acuity for some time. Uh, The president actually telling the Washington Examiner on Friday that, quote, uh, Biden has absolutely no idea what's happening and he doesn't even know if he's alive. Uh, I want you to listen to what David Axelrod said on this podcast about that on Friday. It's clear what Trump's strategy is, and it's to depict Biden as over the hill, incapable of doing the job. And that's what they have to guard against. And they need to tell the story of Joe Biden, of what he's done, and they need to show him in active ways, even if they're 20-second snippets. So, Arlette, you know, this is something that they constantly will go through anything that Joe Biden does uh, online, because that's the only way you can campaign right now. And they'll take a 20 second clip, even less, and try and make that a huge issue. How does the Biden campaign respond to that? Well, I mean, they are aware that this is a tactic that the, that the Trump campaign is going to be using going forward. And I think you've seen the, the former vice president, they're trying to get him out there doing more virtual events. You know, later uh, he did an event in uh, Florida a few weeks ago that had a lot of technological snafus, but they're going to have him um, doing events this week as well. And, you know, last week Biden was kind of asked about this uh, in an interview, and he brought up that people say Biden's Hyden. And he said that they're still winning, that people are making this claim that, you know, he's in his basement, he's not uh, out there in the public, 
But if you look at polls, at least national polls, Biden right now is doing particularly well. So I think it's a hard time. You know, everyone's having to adapt their campaign strategies to this age where we're all living at home and and people aren't gathering for rallies and stuff like that. Um, But they're trying to adapt and trying to push back on any notion uh, that the Trump campaign might be conveying about him. So, you know, we can talk a lot about uh, Vice President Biden, uh, Greg, but, you know, this campaign is increasingly appearing to be more about a referendum on President Trump Uh, and not just a referendum on his last three years in office. It could be a referendum on his last six months in office leading up to the election because of his handling of the coronavirus. You know, the the big argument that the Trump campaign had was that they had this booming economy, record low unemployment, a stock market that was off the charts. Uh, People's personal income uh, was increasing since he had taken office. Almost all of that has been erased. The Fed chair out this morning saying 25% unemployment is possible. That is depression level uh, unemployment. Is it smart for the Biden campaign, Greg, to make this election about coronavirus and the president's response to it and and kind of focus in, not necessarily on a choice between Joe Biden uh, and Donald Trump, but instead just uh, a decision about Donald Trump's performance in office? I mean, listen, to the extent that you can do that, yeah, you know, in this moment, that would seem to make the most sense. And it seems to be what they're doing. You know, every time Trump comes out with some far-flung attack, they pivot pretty hard and fast to public health, but also, you know, obviously the economic impact of the virus. But, you know, the reality, though, of course, is that the situation could change, revolve in the sense of, you know, the the things that we're doing now for mitigation could work, you know, which would be great, obviously, and the economy could come, you know, roaring back. So, you know, obviously... I imagine every campaign you need to have your, your your plan and then your backup plan. But yeah, I think it's smart right now. And certainly you want to dig at the, you know, a lot of the stories we heard of, of, of incompetence or, you know, playing down the virus in the, in the early stages. I do think, though, just as a general political principle, um, you know, the Biden campaign, and, and it's, it seems like they, they're getting at this in, in a lot of their public statements, you know, you want to be talking about the economy. Um, I, I think, you know, people can kind of understand for themselves viscerally, um, you know, what the issue is health-wise. Um, they, but what they want to know and probably what they're looking uh, for leadership on is, is, a, is a convincing case for why um, Biden is going to be the guy that's going to bring the economy back. And I think that will ultimately be his challenge. Right. And so, uh, Arlette, let's get a check-in on who Joe Biden is considering uh, for his next, uh, for his own first running mate, I should say, not his next uh, running mate. This is the only time he's done this. I think we sometimes overplay uh, running mates, uh, they tend not to have that big of an impact on the final verdict. But I, something about this year seems a little bit different to me. Perhaps it's Biden's age. Perhaps it's the potential that we know that this uh, pick will be historic in some form or fashion because it's going to be a woman. It does seem, though, Arlette, that every day there's a new front runner, right? Uh, we thought maybe it was Stacey uh, Abrams. Maybe it's Kamala Harris, uh, Elizabeth Warren getting a lot of buzz. Um, even we're hearing a name like uh, Congressman Val Demings uh, uh, come out uh, of the blue. What's the state of play there? It seems as though he is going to be very deliberate with this. It's not something that we're going to see a decision in the next week or two. It might be more like a month or two. No, and you know, last week he said it's going to take about six to eight weeks to get the whole vetting process uh, done, you know, getting the documents and the questionnaires that these people will have to uh, fill out. So we're still a bit of a ways away. I mean, Joe Biden is unique in that he went through the vetting process himself. So he has uh, particular views about how this should all play out and also what exactly a running mate should be. Uh, He's often talked about wanting someone who is simpatico with him on 
various issues. But he's also been uh, very uh, frank and blunt to acknowledge that he's looking for someone who can balance his strengths and weaknesses. He says that that's something that he's talked to President Obama about. And uh, you have quite a number of people who've been, who've been floated, Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, he confirmed that Val Demings is, is on that list. Uh, they're trying to keep things quiet, but really this is a process that is playing out so publicly in a way that it hasn't before. Biden is doing uh, these events with people. You know, uh, later today, he's doing something actually with Kamala Harris. Uh, and then later in the week, Kamala Harris is hosting a call for him. So you're seeing this all, uh, these relationships kind of play out in real time. And that's also something that I think is going to be important to Biden. He values personal connection and relationships with people. Uh, and so that could be a big factor as he makes this decision going forward. And I I know the Trump campaign uh, is uh, watching this as anxiously as anyone. Uh, they've built uh, files uh, on a long list of potential uh, running mates uh, for Joe Biden. You've already seen them start to attack some of them. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer, the uh, governor of Michigan, has been someone that has uh, in particular been uh, in their sights for some time now. But they're going to be ready to go. The second this uh, name comes out, you can expect the Trump campaign uh, to uh, go uh, guns barreling uh, after whoever this particular nominee turns out to be. But but I also think, uh, and Greg, uh, you know, uh, go to you on this. Uh, it, it still probably won't matter uh, in the grand electoral scheme of things. But just from a pure governing standpoint, this is going to be an important decision, right? I mean, you have someone uh, that's going to play a big role in whatever the response is uh, to COVID-19 after the election, if they're to go on to win. This is certainly someone who's going to be younger. Uh, and so therefore, their political future is going to be a lot longer than uh, Donald Trump or a Vice President Biden. Could this be one of the most important picks in modern history, whoever Joe Biden selects? Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, I, and I'm generally of the school of thought that you kind of spelled out there, which is that they don't really matter as much as maybe we, we tend to make them out to be. They're not as important as we tend to make them out to be in terms of, you know, winning this region or, you know, part of the country if they're from this state. Um, but I, so, so, I mean, to your point, I think the why, so I agree with you, but I think the why is the interesting part. And I think, you know, people have different reasons for believing that it's the most important decision in a long time. You know, obviously, like you said, Biden's not a young guy. No secret there. I think he said it himself. Um, so this next person will, will be well positioned to be the party's next leader, uh, perhaps sooner than later if he wins. So, you know, and it could be four years from now. You know, I think uh, the other thing that maybe gets discussed a little bit less often is, you know, the manner in which Biden is campaigning. And even if, as Arlette was saying, you know, they're, they're doing their best to kind of get him out there a little more and this and that. I mean, he's still not someone who's going to be holding these massive rallies. It's never been his thing. He's not, that's not going to start now for a number of reasons. So I do think the running mate will have, you know, will really matter because they will have a very large platform. And, you know, the person he picks, you know, again, presumably younger, um, you know, will probably be traveling, you know, a good amount. Um, I think it's really important that that person, you know, is able to deliver his message, but also kind of um, give some confidence to other parts of the party. And that's not just to say the progressive wing, that's just to all different parts of the party that they, this is someone they feel comfortable with, um, you know, delivering this message and someone who, to your point about what the Trump campaign has in store, um, you know, is not going to, frankly, cause any problems. You know, I guess the first rule of, of a running mate and that hasn't changed now is, you know, to do no harm. Yeah, do no harm. Right, exactly. And I don't think we can understate the value of the historic nature of this pick. 
Uh, obviously, we know it's going to be a woman. Uh, I'm sure Arlette talked to a lot of people during the primary. Uh, Greg, you talked to a lot of people during the primary. I certainly talked to a lot of people during the primary, female voters in particular, that felt there was such a lost opportunity when Hillary Clinton didn't win. Obviously, uh, this person's not going to be the next president of the United States, but there's never been a woman to serve as vice president. Uh, so there is a huge uh, aspect to that. And then the other uh, aspect of it is that it could be a woman of color, a Latino, or it could be an African-American woman. So all those things play into this being intriguing. And I think this figure, whoever it turns out to be, is someone that's going to be uh, in the political conversation uh, for a very long time to come. Well, uh, we're going to have to wrap it there. Arlette and Greg, two of my favorite people at CNN, they may not feel that way about me, but whatever. <laughs> I'm hosting today, so you've got to you, say Ryan. that. Yeah. Uh, thank you, guys. <laughs> thank you guys so much uh, for being here as well. And a special thanks to our listeners. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, please consider leaving a rating or a comment. Please be nice to me, even though you love David Chalian, as you should. But, you know, just be nice to me as well. It helps people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe, stay healthy, and I will be back here tomorrow. I will talk to you then. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.